Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Welcome to episode 38. This is a companion episode to number 35, Acetic Acid 101, Kombucha and Making a Watch Coffee Taste Like a Natural. In that episode, we covered the fundamentals of making kombucha and how it could apply to coffee processing. However, I have never done the method myself. I was only hypothesizing. I was taking what I know about microbiology and these fermentation processes and trying to kind of extrapolate into how it could be useful for coffee. However, uh, while I was putting that episode out, I heard from a patron, his name is Lucas, who is an exporter was able to sell a kombucha coffee. So not only was he uh, part of the process where they had executed this process on coffee, but he had also managed to find this coffee at home. So I invited him and the producers that he works with, Felipe and Jose, to talk about their experience reverse engineering a $5 Castillo. So what they did is they started with the end goal in mind, meaning they wanted to make a $5 Castillo. So first they picked the price and then they picked the flavor profile that they wanted or that they thought would be worthy of that price. And then they looked for a process that could get them that flavor profile to hit their target. Today is a making coffee first. We have four voices on this podcast. In this conversation, you will get to hear from three passionate coffee professionals who generously share their experience. I love this conversation because to me, it's what transparency in our value chain is all about. These men are very honest about what it costs them to produce this coffee, the price of shipping, and the price the farmer was paid compared to the price the roaster purchased the coffee. They share their exact process, including the kilos of coffee they produced, their pH values, and the number of fermentation hours. I highly enjoyed Felipe's infectious enthusiasm for coffee production, and I think you will too. One of my favorite parts in this conversation is when he shares how he picks the names for his processes. For example, some of the names are Frozen Cherry or Jack Black. Before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to tell you about a new Patreon perk. About a week after each episode uh, is published, I go on Discord and do a live hangout for patrons to ask questions or to interact with guests, like we just had one with sourcing consultant Jamie from the previous episode. So Jamie uh, came on Discord, and we just got to like hang out and to hear questions from the people that were listening, and it was honestly a, a really fun way to interact. I got to meet all of you guys. And because we have so many different time zones, if you're not able to make it when we're doing the Hangout Live, then all of the sessions are recorded and lightly edited and then put on Patreon so that you can listen whenever whenever you can. It's kind of like a podcast after the podcast. And this is something that I wanted to do as uh, another way to thank the patrons who support this podcast, because without their support, uh, to, this wouldn't be able to be ad-free, and I wouldn't keep doing it if I didn't think that enough people cared enough to pay $3 a month for this um, for these episodes and to support them. So thank you for all of the people that do. I also want to take a moment and appreciate my partner, Nick. 
he had the challenge of editing four separate audios. Because the funny thing is, even though all four of us are in Colombia, we're in completely different locations with varying degrees of internet connection, equipment, and audio quality. I'm located in Santuario Risaralda. Lucas is nearby, but in a city called Buga. Felipe is in Medellin, and Jose is in Huila. Okay, let's jump in. Lucia, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. I, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I, oh, I'm good. a big admirer of you, and uh, I, I think, <laughs> in the way you came to the coffee industry, changed a lot of the mind of us. I'm a coffee grower. I'm an old coffee grower. I'm a 44, but I have been in the in the coffee industry just the, the last 12 years. Uh, I'm a production engineer. I have been managing some industries in here in Medellin. But I become a, a, a coffee grower because it's a, a family legacy. And uh, I, real, uh, I realize this is where I have to be in my life to be, you know, to be full. Uh, so thank you. Felipe, thank I think 44 years is actually very young. The, I, on, I think the average age of coffee producers is like 60 or 70. So I you're still, I, I, I used to be left. younger <laughs> <laughs> when I become a, a, you know, when I, when I started in this, uh, coffee, uh, you know, coffee, uh, uh career, but, uh, but I'm now, uh, seeing people like Lucas yourself, and uh, and and the guests coming, which is uh, Jose. Jose's really... there already. Ah, Jose. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, Jose. Come on. Felipe, how are you? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. see you, but uh, but I'm fine. I'm fine now. Uh, uh, Jose is in Wheela, so probably the the signer is is you know it's very difficult. Uh, okay, Jose is in Wheela. Felipe, where are you? I'm in Medellin right now. I'm trying to export in a coffee to Lucas right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm really in the middle of everything. But, uh, but um, yes, I was saying that, that uh, when we started to follow you and your thesis and your, you know, the way you came, all your knowledge to the coffee industry makes or have the possibility to open to open our world for a new mm -hmm. uh, coffee development and uh, you know thinking different uh, I used to I used to follow the federation or the FNC rules so we didn't uh, or we won't we weren't able to to understand many of the new culture but once people like you came to the to the coffee industry girl changed a lot thank you so much <laughs> i appreciate you so much no thank you so much for saying that i really appreciate um i you know i i work very isolated and it still surprises me to hear from people that that find what i'm talking about helpful because sometimes you just forget like i'm just doing my own thing and And a lot of the, the things that I talk about are very fundamental. So I'm like, does anybody care? So <laughs> I still have that feeling. So thank you so much. We are all following. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 
big listener to the podcast. Lucas, where are you? I'm in Buga. I'm actually closer to Pereira, right? This is kind of the region where you are than than Medellin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're, I'm, I'm yeah, in Buga. Yeah, I'm in Risaralda. So I've been in Colombia for six months and I just got my uh, visa extended so that I can stay nice. here longer. And I have a Colombian cedula now so I can open a bank account. So I'm not leaving. I'm staying for a long time. Damn, nice. Nice. So you are welcome to Santa Barbara and to Medellin. My ha- mi casa es tu casa, Lucia. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have, I've been for six months in complete isolation. Like I've only gone to Pereira uh, twice to apply for the cedula and then to pick it up and I really haven't seen anything of the country I've just been in my little mountain um, but part of that is still COVID regulations and right. distances are are, right. are long and uh, I don't know about where you guys are but here in Risaralda we've had some major mudslides we've had lots and lots of rain so if it wasn't COVID uh, if it wasn't the bottle and then it's mudslides so there's just like <laughs> very little transportation so i want to talk about yeah. that in a little bit um but the reason we're here is to talk about processing and lucas you are a patron so thank you so much for being part of the community it's super fun really to connect with the people that really care about coffee learning um and you mentioned on my post about kombucha that you actually had tried it, that you had done this process. And I was only talking about it from theory. I was talking about it from microbiology fundamentals of what what I think would happen. But you guys actually tried it. So what I want to hear from Felipe and Jose was what inspired you? Where did you get your SCOBY? And how, how did this come to um, – how did you get this idea because – Kombucha is not really a Colombian beverage. There's not a, right. a strong history the way there is in Asia. So where did this come from? Who had the idea? Jose. Jose. We we had a, a live event in in February where we, we where we met in Greenville, different roasters from the area, and we wanted to do a coffee designing exercise. So we had Felipe on the other line. And then everybody was just throwing ideas on what they wanted. They're like, okay, we want to do a $5 Castillo that is very fruity. You know, it has a, like a, a round body and a long finish. So Felipe was like, okay, I think that's totally possible. And then Jose came up with the idea to do it with kombucha because of the acetic acid that it would produce. Uh, and then we can listen to him and how he came up with the idea and how he, you know, developed it. Jose. Hi. So first of all, we made a kombucha with black tea. My first kombucha scoby was another kind of scoby that a friend just gave me in Pergamino, another coffee shop. And I was working for Cafe Jardin and then I had never tried the kombucha. So I was reading about how can we get different profiles not developing a, spe- a specific flavor, just developing the profile of the coffee. And for this kombucha process, we made two kinds of tea, black tea really, with the sungma and the Darjeeling tea. So it was very good. We tried the flavor of both, the first one, 
the Sunguma was very fluid, like orange, but the second one was very, very floral, like jasmine and some of chocolate. It was very soft and sweet, so we decided to use the second one, the Darjeeling. And also, we need sugars for this kind of materials, for the metabolism, and then we just started with the coffee mucilage and some of water. So we made a semi-wash process. It gave us a very complex profile, like berries or stone fruits, multi tropical fruits, dark chocolate, some kind of intense flavors. You can see, you can taste it like almost natural, but not with that note of the fermentation is a faster fermentative process with bacteria. So I think that when everything is changing, we got to change with everything. We cannot be back, okay? And adding some bacteria or yeast to coffee is a way for making coffee better. Well, I want to uh, emphasize what you just said, Jose, that first of all, the, the yeast and bacteria are already there. So it's not like you're adding something that doesn't exist. You're, as a producer, just kind of curating. You are, I try to describe it as like you're the party and it's your party and you're the bouncer. And before we would just let everybody come into the party and all of the bacteria and all of the yeast were invited. And now we're starting to pay attention and say, hey, I want to control who's going to come to my party because not everybody is welcome and not everybody has good results. So I think one of the the misconceptions is people thinking that we're adding something that that is new or foreign. And we're really just tweaking. We're changing a little bit who's coming to the party. Um, but Jose, I want to ask you, when you were making your initial uh, kombucha fermentation with your black tea, how long was that fermentation? How many days before you were able to taste it? The black tea was about 15 days. 15 days for your SCOBY. And then once you decided to ferment your coffee with that same SCOBY, how long was your coffee fermentation? 125 hours. And how did you decide on that much time? Because we were following the pH, the, the measure of the coffee, and we were making some different measurements during this time. For us, it's very important the temperature and the pH, also the bricks rate degrees. And then we say like, okay, this is the moment when we got to take of the tank, take this coffee off the tank and then take it to the drying bed. Jose, what were those measurements? Like what was the pH and what was the, I, I couldn't hear if you said it. Yeah, let me see, I, I got the date of the pH was about 3.5, was very clear, was very low, acidic. But I think that it's not about the your pH is important, but you can get malic, acetic, lactic, or tartaric acids. But 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 being practical, I I I think what we did is uh, uh, we make kombucha itself, 
I mean, we prepared kombucha, right, uh, uh, Jose? And then yes. we tried to figure it out what happened with what happened with the kombucha into the coffee cherries or in the coffee, uh, 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 you know, process. Because we did it, we did it uh, in a semi-wash uh, processing, right, Jose? Yes, I mean, that's right. Uh, Lucia, we, while we experiment, you know, we try to figure it out. We have some mass with, uh, with bacterial, with yeast, uh, whatever it is. And, you know, this is like a war. I mean, we are fighting. We have our own bacterials, our own yeast, and we put something else there. So uh, you realize who is winning in the capping table. I mean, if, if we have, you know, our own bacterials and we see it in our capping, uh, we see that our bacterials itself are better or are gaining the war because because they won, you know. And what happened there is that for any reason, the transformation was great because some of the ad bacterials or some of the, what happened with the kombucha, I don't know much about it, won the war in our coffee processing. I don't know if, if, if you can understand what happened there. It's what I have read about it and is what I like it from the kombucha processing. We add something and something, you know, something, uh, one space into the processing process and our, our, our terroir, as you de define that, I mean, everything that is in my farm makes some space in this processing. Right, I don't know much about the chemical reaction, but I know that whatever Jose put into the coffee makes something really good into the coffee or uh, into the you know into the coffee beans. In the end of the day, I don't know about reaction. I know that you are so scientific, and I know Jose knows more than me, but I know that happened. What happened in the end of the day? was so good. So that's what I, I said to Jose. Okay, whatever you had or whatever you made, I don't know how to make kombucha, keep replies because we need more coffee of it. I don't know <laughs> what happened. And I need to be, you know, we have the Sena. I don't know if you have in touch with the Sena Institute, which is a national institute for technologic, you know. Uh, we are... Uh, We are making tests of what happened in the kombucha. And uh, I will let you know what uh, 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 chemical elements is in there because we are having analysis of it in a chromatographic analysis. Is the name of this? Am I sure? I can say in Spanish. I don't That's know a really English. cool opportunity. Uh, I we have it. I mean, we have already tested. I don't. I don't have the the result, but we have already tested. In order you figure it out, or we figure it out, what happened in there, and what is the what is the element that are in the coffee beans that we are selling now, 
with the Lucas uh, clients. Uh, um, Jose and Felipe, uh, and please correct me if I misunderstood this, Lucia, but on your latest episode, one of your, your biggest, I guess, concerns or using these cultures for, you know, growers or different growers in Colombia was the one, the upkeep of the SCOBY, how difficult it would be to keep it up with, with your story that you, you had to throw it away, basically. And then, <laughs> and then second was how you would use it in the fermentation tanks. Because what you were, I guess, what I understood was that it needed to provide this um, low oxygen environment on the bottom and the SCOBY need to be, would need to be um, on the top. Uh, but if I understood Jose correctly, he did it differently. Jose, how did you introduce the SCOBY into the coffee mass? With water, some of water, and I was making a depulp coffee. It's a semi-washed. So after depulping, we added the kombucha. It was for 125 hours. So I want to say two things about that. First, I think it's a really important point if anybody wants to replicate this, that it should be on pulped coffee. It should not be on cherries. I think the results on cherries would be uh, not worth it. So don't bother. Just go ahead and pulp your coffee and try this method. And I want to mention something that Felipe was talking about in terms of fighting the um, your own your own microbes, and then introducing a new culture. And so what I think is, go ahead. I would will, I will, I will like to say that we, in our semi-washed coffee, we, we always want to have, you know, like a lactic fermentation first and probably uh, alcoholic fermentation. So what we try to do is, you know, have this base of the lactic fermentation and then we add whatever you want to add. I mean, the kombucha thing, for example, in this case, and then we close it because there is no fermentation without, you know, with, we need an anaerobic fermentation to have this. And, uh, and, uh, and in that way, we can, we can have, you know, our own bacterials working with the add bacterias working as well. So, yes, just, just, to, just to put in a concept, what, what we try to do, every time we replace the, this uh, process. Got it. So I think the, the fighting analogy is a really, um, it's a really good one because, I mean, I talk about it in terms of competition, but a competition really mm -hmm. is a fight. So essentially you do have this competition between the microbes that you are adding from the SCOBY and the microbes that are already present, the microbes that are on your cherries, that are in your pulper, that are in the tank, that are in your water. And the question a lot of the times is, how do you know who's going to win? Who's going to come out on top? The ones that are already there or the ones that you're introducing? And I think this is going to be a topic in coffee um, more in the future. Uh, we've already dealt with this in wine in terms of first you sterilize and then you add. But in coffee, there's very few people that are sterilizing before because it's it's a kind of a complicated step. Um, and maybe we don't even need to do it. So the way that I work with yeast or the way that the kombucha is, uh, you know, adding to the process, I think that it's one way that you can avoid this, the question about sterilizing beforehand is you you come in with an army that is so strong, that is so many that you just outcompete 
the population that is there. So you don't have to completely start from zero. You just have to bring more of your friends to come to the party. You have to bring more of, you know, a higher concentration of population. Um, and I think that that's why this kombucha scoby is um, successful because it's a very strong, a very strong starter. And one of the things that I'm changing my mind about, as you were mentioning, Lucas, I didn't think this was a great method having, again, saying I've never tried it. I haven't done it myself, but to me, it seems very complicated and it seems like a lot of work, uh, for keeping the SCOBY alive and keeping it consistent between fermentations and then also in the application. So now you have, um, as I understand it from making the liquid, you want the culture to completely cover the surface of the coffee. And in a coffee tank, they're really big, big tanks that are usually pretty shallow. So you would need a lot of surface area. And then I'm also thinking now separating it back out again. So I'm just thinking about how much labor is involved in this process. And a lot of people have more labor than they have money. So it, it can be a very you know viable thing. I'm just thinking if, if you're not one of those people that have a lot of hands available, it could be difficult. But what I'm changing my mind about, um, Lucas, you mentioned is that it's it's such a strong starter with a very strong flavor that maybe you don't need it to completely cover the whole surface. Maybe just a little bit is enough to get the effect. And maybe it's not correct. You know, I'm saying correct is in, in quotes. It's not the correct way to make a kombucha, but it could be a really good method for coffee. So I would love to hear a little bit more either from Felipe or Jose on how you took the SCOBY out and what you did with it and then how, how you're keeping it and then how if you've managed to make a more more batches of this type of coffee. Okay, we are, we are feeding the SCOBY with more sugars. We have started with white sugar, but it's quite better when you are using the brown sugar. So this is the kind of sugar we are using now. Almost each week, we are feeding the scobies for keeping it alive. And Jose, do you have it in a jar or do you have it in another tank? Like how, how, what is the diameter in centimeters or inches? How big is your scoby? It's a small scoby. We have almost a liter of, of the Mona glass. So we got two of them in different glasses. And we are always following their pH and bricks degrees. So you have one liter of liquid? Yes, it's one liter. Two, two glasses with two glasses with a liter each one. Okay, so you have maybe like a five or six inches diameter, like maybe the size of like a big hand of yes. diameter. Okay. And how much, how big was your first batch of this coffee? How many kilos of cherry or kilos of pulped coffee? 75 kilos of dried coffee. 75 kilos. And then but, were you but, uh, but, Jose, Jose, uh, but uh, how big was the tank that we produce it? It was the 80 kilos tank 80 or kilos. 200? 80 kilos. Okay. By 80 kilos of, of the pulp coffee, right? Yes. Okay. And then uh, was it a sealed tank? Yes. yes. Was It was a sealed. So basically you put... The dipple cherries with water, with the scoby, and then sealed it. Yes. Yes. And, and, and also an important thing to mention, Lucia, is that 
Um, we had already pre-sold four 35-kilo bags, and at the mill, we only got two. So it turned out to be an, a, a more of an expensive process that we initially thought it was going to be. And I don't really know why the, why the yield was so bad. Why was it? Or was it so good that Felipe didn't want to sell it? Maybe. It's, it's not preferable coffee, but it's, it's a good experiment. <laughs> uh, but, but anyhow, I mean, this is the way you can, you can experiment. I mean, if you don't try, you don't make it. And uh, I, uh, with this and uh, what you have taken notes, we can realize what we need to do. I mean, we can do it the next process. We can, uh, you know, just separate what we have in, in, uh, in our farm. I mean, we can, how do you say that? Uh, you can wash the cherries you can esterilizar, yeah. Clean, clean, clean everything, you know, and put the kombucha itself in order to see what happened. I mean, in order to uh, minimize the, our, our own bacterial, uh, how do you say that? La carga bacteriana. Charge, uh, the microbial charge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In order to reduce the bacterial charge, How do you say that again? Charge, <laughs> like carga is like a charge, like, uh -huh. a, like an amount. Okay. So in order to decrease the charge of it and, and put the, the kombucha itself in order to be, you know, more free of work, what he wants to work, could be, could be in the next process in order to see. So Lucas, what happened when you, since because the, the yield was so low, what happened with that contract? Are you able to make more or did you offer a different coffee? Uh, we offer a different coffee. Uh, we, so we were able to save two for Goodman. It's a coffee roaster in Tennessee. Uh, we're we're going to send it to them and they really liked it. They, we got them a pre-shipment pre sample and they really, they proved it and, and got two and Um, well, the other two bags we couldn't send them this time. Maybe we, we have to reevaluate the sales price and the cost, and then do another batch, send the sample, and get it approved at this new new sales price to see if the customer wants to buy. So you before you started this experimentation, you already had a customer, and you had oh. already settled on a price. Yeah, that was the that was the exercise that we did. On February, we, the the challenge was, and this was from a, a meeting we did with Unlocked Coffee Roasters, Methodical, uh, Ninja Warrior, uh, Bridge City, all in Greenville. We had a meeting, and then they, we kind of did this exercise of designing a coffee, and they chose the variety, the flavor profiles, the body, the acidity level, and the price. So, so it was just. Uh, an initial exercise, but but yeah, they, they chose the price. So we're like, okay, we're going to try to make it work. And so a $5 Castillo sounds really good, but you're saying even that was not enough for the amount of effort and everything behind the scenes that goes into producing this coffee. Is that right? It is right. Well, it was a $5 coffee for the roasters, but I, I uh, when, what I paid Felipe was... How much? 3.5. What? 3.5 3.5 X worth 
green already. And then all the, you know, all the shipping costs that came up to be 61 cents on this shipment and, and everything else, the warehouse. But, a, but, but, but you, I mean, it's a good price for this coffee. I mean, it's a Castillo, as you said, mm-hmm. but if you don't, if you cannot scale that coffee, it's not going to be preferable for no one. You know, I mean, this is, this is a good, a good experiment, but it's not a good uh, coffee to, uh, how do you say? We need to figure it out how to scale it in order to be preferable. But now, but now it's, it's a good exercise. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing too much in selling much of this coffee, but I like it because we experiment with another things that we haven't done before. And I appreciate what Jose did because he bring with a new ideas and, and, and that's what I promote in our company. I mean, I think that's a really good point is to remember that the scalability is really important and it can be difficult with some of these processes, but there's mm-hmm. still a lot of value in opening your eyes to what's possible. Like now you've pushed to a really far edge and you're saying like, how do we go almost that far? Right. Like maybe if you can get 80 percent of that flavor in an easier way, it would be it would be worth it because then you could do it twice yes. as easy. <laughs> yes. So I yes. think that right. I'm definitely, I, you know, want producers to experiment. I just want you to not have your lives be so difficult. I, I feel I, I feel so, you know, excited because it was so new for me. I mean, kombucha itself is new for me. I mean, say so like, OK, Jose, if you want to do it. Just do it. I mean, I don't know what to do it. Try with a little, you know, a very few amount of it. If you don't do it, it's fine. But don't scale in a big time, 2,000 kilos there, because I'm going to broke. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's fine. I mean, I, it's, I it's think that's really process. good advice. Uh-huh. To start small. And that's something that I really like is that once you get, you are confident with the fundamentals of uh, microbiology and fermentation. So for my method is I start as big as possible. When I go to a new place, I'm like, give me five tons. We're going to start with five tons. Um, because when you feel you can feel safe when you have those parameters, when you understand where you want your acid to be. And then you start from a place where, OK, I, I can do five tons then I can replicate it and you can have that yes. scalability. Cause I think that's something that we, we forget. We get so excited by micro lots, but producers can't live from micro lots. Like there's a uh, lot more right. coffee to be you're had right. here. <laughs> you're right. Felipe, I want to ask you, I want to ask you if you feel pressure to experiment, do you feel pressure to top yourself all of the time or where does that come from? I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, I started, in China. So they didn't know much about many things. I mean, uh, in a mature uh, market like USA, I wouldn't be able five years ago to experiment because everybody wants, everybody knows what to do. But in China, everybody wants to explore. Everybody wants to be, you know, something new. And I can tell you every time, I sent a container to China just in the minute. They asked me, what is new? And I say, what is new? Just prove what I sent it. I say, no, we need something new. 
And that, that is very, very cool for me because makes me, you know, experiment every time. I know, I know that it sounds, you know, like, uh, how do you say that? Imprudente. But, uh, but, uh, but for me, it's, it's, it's like challenging myself every time. So I need to study. I need to prove. I need to test. I need to cup. And, uh, and, and I, can, I can develop new coffees every time. And I know that my partner in China is going to buy it because they are supporting what, what we're doing. And we're doing a good coffees. If I don't like it, I just, you know, put it in the commercial side. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's pushing me. The market is pushing me. But I don't, I don't let nobody ask me what to do. I mean, I do it by myself. And, uh, and I read your books and I listen to your postcard. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have information. But we create ourselves in our little laboratory, which is, you know, we, we, I, you have tests, you have, you have, uh, taste the frozen cherry, for example. And it was an experiment of eight tons of cherries. And it was an experiment. So I, I, I'm on your side too. I mean, we need to be big, you know, (laughs) we can, we can have it. We can, we can put it in the market. So, yeah, this, this new edge of the coffee industry is pushing too much. I think there, there are many names that you don't realize what, they, what, what is going on. You need to uh, read the science to understand that the market is out of, you know, there are, so many, there are too much marketing inside, but you have to understand what is happening in your process. Um, we experiment. I mean, we experiment. I name. We have different names. But I don't, I don't put processing names because I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a professional in that. What so are examples do, of your names? Uh, uh, sample of my name. Uh, Frozen Cherry is one. It's a simple name. I just frozen. Uh, Jack Black. Have you heard about this uh, actor? And I realize it's so. I mean, it's so difficult to uh, uh, to taste it. And uh, it was so good in Korea. Uh, Wait, why did you name it Jack Black? Because it was like a black honey, but it didn't looks like black honey. So uh, and a Korean client came to my farm and said, uh-uh, this is not a black honey, but it tastes like a black honey. I say, why not? Because the color, it looks like, like a black. And I say, okay, call it whatever. Jack black is fine for you? And I say, yeah. And I name it. I mean, you know, this kind of thing is, is funny because everybody wants to have your own name. But everybody idealiza on a process. So it's funny. So you need to, you need to change rules. And, uh, and that's why it's special. I think my farm is special because we are special as well. 
I want to highlight a couple of things that you said, Felipe. And the one thing that I is very different from my personal philosophy, but I'm really glad that you brought it up, is that you like to be pushed. You like to be, because for you, it's a challenge. And you like that, that improvement that you have to challenge yourself. And that even though it's your your partner in China that is asking for new things, that's how you have fun. Like that energizes you mm-hmm. to expand, you know, what you're doing. And I think that that is that, that model can be, if you're not into it, it can be very negative. You know, it can feel like a lot of pressure, but for you, it feels like fun. It feels like this exciting challenge. And so I think just to remind people that finding the right partner, like there is, there's a right market for yes. your coffee. If you're someone you who, and you yeah, you can find that. I mean, my, my, my clue is having people like Lucas that is supporting what we do. I mean, this is, this is, this is the entire thing. My client in China is supporting what I do. And, and, and this is the clue of everything. I mean, you need a producer that understands your partnering market and the partnering market understand their clients. This is the entire thing. And you need to realize what coffee are you making for? I mean, you need to go there, go back, and go forward. And, and this is not like pushing. It's you are co-creating is what we call it. because It's more co-creating, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like what you're looking for, okay, I don't know what to do it, but let's experiment a little bit. And sometimes I don't know the theoretical, I mean, what is happening in the process sometimes. And I, I can tell you, it's an experiment completely, you know, what happened there is what I taste in the cup. And then I, I, I had to go back and I realized, okay, that happened because of this. There is a lack in fermentation. We took the cherries in this, uh, you know, thing. It was raining. It was hot. It was sunny. It was everything that happened in the process. But we, you know, we realized that after we cup it, sometimes, sometimes we do it in a better way. Go from, you know, having a plan, go forward and having a result. And something important that uh, I would like to share here is that the Goodman Roasters was in Felipe's farm like last month. And we're all there. We're walking during um, around the drying beds. And then there was a new process. And then Jose was like, oh, okay, this, this is the new coffee. And they were, it, it smelled like apricot. Everywhere smelled like apricot. We're like, you could smell those coffee parchment, just pure peaches. So they're like, okay, let's name them peaches after the song. And then and then Ian, who's the owner, said, okay, please send us a sample and we'll buy it all. Right. So so that's also very important because that that gives that the confidence to experiment all the way there. And I and maybe this was a little bit irresponsible, but before I even tried the sample, I was like, Felipe, just put it all in the container. I'm sure it will be good. <laughs> And then we were at a dinner with Methodical like three weeks ago. And they were like, okay, I was just sharing that story. And he was, uh, Will was like, don't worry about it. We'll buy some of it too. So, and they hadn't even tried it. So it's just that the support more times than not in specialty coffee, it's truly the, the, the story behind it, what sells before the actual flavor and the cupping score. So it's, it's in building those relationships that you create those stories. And that was, 
I think that really sells. I totally agree. I wanted to ask you guys where, how you're able to, if you have been affected by the paro and if you've been able to, how are you exporting your coffee? How do you, how do you explain it? I mean, we do it by ourselves. Oh, what is your question? Oh, no, because of the paro, the delays. Ah, okay, okay. We some delays, Lucia. It's been... Yes. Because uh, for us, it's been uh, like really challenging. Yeah. yeah, a lot. A lot, yes, but uh, the, we are not a big exporter, so we delay one container. So, I mean, this is really bad, but it's okay. I mean, I, I'm in the edge of, you know, work whatever you have to work. I mean, this is fine for me. I mean, I don't know for Lucas. Lucas is really in a bad position because he sold the coffee. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, yes, I live in Colombia. What can I do? Uh-huh. Oh, what do you and think? For, for us, the, the, I mean, we've, we've kept in touch with the customers, uh, the roasters, and they're, I mean, they understand what's what's going on. And I mean, hopefully, the, the, the container is getting picked up this afternoon, actually. So... Let's all pray. Please light up a candle. I see one behind you, I think. So please light it up. And then hopefully we don't have any problems on the on the port. So how uh, much of a delay are you experiencing? Uh, about a month. It all but it was it turned out to be okay because we add more we added more coffee. More pre-orders came in that if the container would have left on time, uh, we I mean we would have to wait another until August until the next container. So it, it was good, but, but now the problem is that, so I paid Felipe 70%. And if we have those containers, now we have to pay interest on that money. So it's a little bit, a little bit challenging and I'm, I've been a little bit stressed, but um, I think it's okay. Well, most of it, it's already sold. So it's, it's not a big risk, I think. Yo creo en Dios. No te preocupes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Lucas, can you explain a little bit your model with Unblended, how you're working with producers, kind of the relationship that you have? Yeah, Lucia. Uh, well, we work very closely with Felipe, and, and that, that's, I think, part of uh, the success. We, we talked with you, right? And you helped us change a lot of... We, well, we don't do processing, but you helped us, you know, think through our... our you know, well, how we wanted to communicate our mission with Unblended. And really what, what we wanted to accomplish is a, a, a different way to sell coffee, specialty coffee, both us to the roasters and the roasters to their clients, that it would involve the producers more. So really we, we think of ourselves as kind of managers of some artists, and the artists in this case would be the coffee growers. So we help them, you know, work with Felipe and the team to try to like highlight what this, their strengths, right? We help them find some things to like, okay, this is a strength of you. Uh, let's find you a partner that will appreciate it. And we try to create that relationship. But like, we love when, you know, Felipe calls a roaster. So we, like, we encourage that. Uh, and we, we love that co-creation relationship. And now we're taking it a step further and we create a program called UVI, Unblended Ventola Institute. Uh, it's like a, it, I mean, it's like a university. We want to think that, that way. And we took the, the 17 best students from PEC and we called them and we're like, okay, 
You've been learning very well about processing and quality. Now we want to bring you inside. We're going to buy some coffee from you. And we hope to bring, uh, buy next year or at some point your entire um, uh, production. And we're gonna, you're going to come in and we're going to help you build your brand, uh, do a marketing plan, learn about finance, learn about accounting, uh, have international experience with the customers that come in and, and you know, learn about, you know, how does, how does a coffee shop work, for instance? Like how you make a latte and why customers ask the most and how you roast, how you price your products, right? Teach them about the all the value chain, like how much it costs to export, the yields, warehousing costs, everything, so they know and understand their, the coffee in U.S. prices, not in, in parchment prices. So we're all aligned. I think uh, this has been a project that really, really aligned us with the coffee producers. And they, so far there are five, and they are very excited and now we have people like Andres Cardona, who's 27 and, and works with Felipe and Jose, who like started selling their coffees at 380 in the US, and now they're at 650, and, and now they have a brand, and then now they can see their their name in a bag. But we hope to be a brand, right? And they have been doing live events, and we've been translating with the roasters. So. It's a, it's a different way, and that's the way we want to sell coffee, and that's the way we, we hope to grow. And how old is your company? Uh, two years. So you've accomplished a lot in two years. This is I'm very impressed with Thank how you. much you're well, able. We haven't sold that much. I mean, we've been selling a little bit more every time. This is going to be our second container this year. But I think we've taken the time. My sister has been a huge help, who you know, Sophia. She's a, a genius in, in translating all these ideas into visuals and words. And we've, we've accomplished like the foundations. And that was very important. It was very important for us to, at a scale, sell a coffee and be able to know every single thing. We wanted to know the processing, the price that we paid, how the producer felt. And we wanted to be able to do it at a scale. And we, that's what we've, we've been building this year. I think we're, we're getting ready to like grow from this and, 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 and not break the way we want to sell coffee. Got it. Well, I'll make sure to include the information in the show notes. So if anybody who's listening wants to try some of these coffees, they can get in touch with you, Lucas. Thank you. And, and we would love, Lucia, to um, do some project with you, maybe hire you for a class to these students and you, you tell, you teach them not only about processing, but about marketing because you know the market very well. Uh, everything that you want to tell them, you know, everything you've learned all <laughs> well, these years. That's part of the, the why I'm staying in Colombia and working with Montes Tatama here in Risaralda is to create a teaching mill. And so that I would do yeah. like a boot camp. So you would come and exactly. process with me here in Colombia for three or four days and we would do you could from the beginning from picking our cherries to the the quality selection the varieties that we have being in the mill and then cupping together so i'm hoping to at the end of this year start to bring visitors because we had a big delay with um we haven't finished building and most of our stuff was coming from cali and so with the bottle we've <laughs> had a complete standstill my guardiola's missing right. my scene fiend all of my material my cement 
Um, <laughs> like we, we couldn't even get the technicians. We couldn't get the uh, electrician to come out to install the carpenter. Uh, so we've had a lot of delays just in our building facility, but that's the goal is to create a place where we can come and, and learn from here in this place. Because one of the things that was challenging for me was I would go to a new place and we would spend so much time kind of working around issues, working around like old equipment, working around, you know, lack of that. We couldn't really focus on processing. We were just fixing little Stop. things that were, yeah, like little inconvenient things uh, in different in different locations. So in this way, I built the mill. And so we can just focus on processing. And then I'm hoping to, you know, kind of inspire and see like, oh, I didn't know we could put a tank that way, or I hadn't thought about using, you know, the water that way. And so that we can we can take that information back to your your mill yeah. and make changes. Definitely, let us know. Um, we we have some resources from Medellin, the Medellin government. So we would love for to take at least the first five. Uh, it's it's four four guys and one girl. We hope to be like more evened out as mm-hmm. we grow. We already have three more girls that are young and they're like wanting to be part but they just didn't have coffee in this this harvest so in the next harvest they will be part of the team but we can even take them as well and and for for sure just let us know even before you launch that program we would love to you know come and and take uh be my guinea these. pigs what be my guinea pigs my test exactly. subjects <laughs> yes yes please yeah 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 we should definitely please let us know how good to um, know what are the logistics and We'll go as seven, I guess, or eight. We'll go. Felipe, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, I'm 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 really honored of being in your program, and uh, and you know, cap cap catch your attention, and uh, thank you, Lucas, for for inviting me. Uh, I really, you know, I'm uh, I I do really want to meet you personally, and having our projects uh, or share our projects with you and uh, you know thank you so much for what you do for the coffee industry oh thank you that's very sweet you know sorry i just realized that we didn't uh you mentioned the frozen cherry and i think it might be confusing because we didn't talk about um i tried that because you sold that to a customer was it in dubai yes and so it's just amazing that the coffee was in Colombia, went to Dubai, and then got shipped to me in the United States. <laughs> and know. then that's where I got to try it. It was like such a, a long distance. And it was 400 hours, right? Yes. Frozen we cherry. It. Yeah, and, we I, and I reached it, yeah. out to you. And I, I reached, I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. And so I, I reached out to you on Instagram. And I was like, is this a typo? Is it supposed to be 40 hours? I was so confused. And you said, yeah, no, yeah. it's 400. That's correct. Uh, but, uh, but you understood why we did it in that way, right? It was a logistic problem that we had. And uh, that's, that's why we froze it. And, uh, but it's, you know, big of medium farms. It's very hard to have, uh, you know, like a specialty coffee or manage a specialty coffee if you don't have the infrastructure. And we were, two years ago, we were, you know, growing so fast in the specialty coffee. So, yeah, that's... No, that's I think that I love this story because, like you said, it, it was a... Um, 
you had some logistical issues, you had to freeze it. And because you didn't have the infrastructure to, to deal with this cherry, and then you were able to sell that and, and the, the, the result was good. And you were able to sell that at a premium to a customer who wanted it and who was really excited to have this coffee. Um, I just think that just uh, to, for other producers to be aware that that may not be the goal. I don't Maybe don't try it. to replicate I don't, that. I don't suggest it. I don't suggest yeah. it. I mean, I, I charge, I mean, the cost of that coffee is more expensive than a geisha for the customers. I mean, I can tell you it's, it's a very good value for a Castillo, but the cost to produce it is, I mean, it's not a profitable coffee. Uh, I can tell mm -hmm. you we need to move the coffee to a huge freezer and then coming back, uh, you know, but it's, it is what I tell you. I, I enjoy doing that and, uh, and I love what I do. So for me, it's very cool. But I don't suggest to nobody to produce that kind of coffees. I mean, experiment is very expensive. And uh, it's better if you know what to do and where to put it. If you have the client and the clients can't pay for that, it's very good. But if you don't know the clients, don't experiment too much. Because, you know, you don't know who is valuing the coffee that you are producing by experimentation. Definitely. So I just want to remind people, if you are reading coffee, uh, reading a coffee label and you see something like that, you see something like 400 hours or even 100 hours, that may not have been on purpose. And to just, you know, to remind ourselves that the longer is not necessarily the goal. Like if you could get that flavor in shorter time, it's better for you as a producer to get that coffee, you know, on its way to its to its mm -hmm. customer. So I just wanted to put that in context, but I really appreciate you sharing honestly that it was not ideal. It worked out, but that you wouldn't recommend it as a, <laughs> as a scalable yeah. model. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, Jose, we hadn't heard from you in a little bit. I just wanted to see if there was anything else you wanted to say before we finish. Well, I'm really proud of being part of your, of your podcast with our team, with Lucas and Felipe and, Sophie was right there. And I'm always trying to learn too much about. So your Instagram profile or your platform is a way for, for us to keep on learning about coffee, about the process, about how these microbiologics can affect positive or on a positive or on a negative form a cup of coffee so we are trying to improve our quality always and improving quality is developing more coffees as new as Felipe is saying as our clients are demanding or our the same market is changing we got to change our production our profiles and We are working on our terroir. So, you know, we are working with our varieties, but, the, but our environment is so important because we got different bacteria by altitude, by the other things that can affect all the culture. Definitely. Well, I want to thank the three of you, Felipe, Jose, and Lucas, for 
doing this in English, which I know is difficult to speak about the things that you're, you know, very knowledgeable about, maybe in a, in a less familiar language. Jose, congratulations for teaching yourself English. You're very, obviously a very <laughs> talented, you. very enthusiastic uh, young person. And yeah, I, I think that unfortunately right now, English is, is the most um, widespread um, language, but we'll work on something in Spanish soon. I want to have more resources for you guys as well. So thanks for joining us. I really loved this conversation. Besides the fountain of information that they shared with us, there are some moments that have really stayed with me. For example, one was when Jose said, when everything is changing, we can't keep ourselves back. I think what Jose is saying here is very powerful. On the consumer side, innovation is a strong driving force. Technology is changing how we communicate. There are always new coffee machines and tools that are debuting all the time. And yet, there is an unspoken agreement that the coffee farmer will remain pure. I don't quite know how to describe it. It's, it's more of a feeling than anything that's really explicit, but it's kind of like we expect the coffee farmer and the producer to remain fixed while we consumers change around them. True, Felipe talked about his customer in China who is constantly asking him for the next new thing, but he also told us that that behavior is from an emerging market. That attitude is the exception, not the rule. What Jose points out is that he too should be entitled to take advantage of the changes happening in the industry. And not only should coffee farmers and producers be taking advantage of innovation, just like other parts of the chain, but that if they don't, they are holding themselves back. My other favorite moment is when Felipe is talking about micro lots and experiments. He said, 80 kilos is okay, but with 2,000 kilos, I would be broke. For many producers, these special processes are a loss. And for Felipe, it's okay. He balances the financial loss with the gain he gets from personal learning, from enjoying the challenge and strengthening his relationship with his buyer. But he too has a limit. This is something that we often overlook when we are excited about the next new thing. These methods take a lot to execute. There are going to be losses. They are expensive. So if you're buying a special processed coffee for two or three dollars per pound and you care about transparency and buying ethically and sustainably, then maybe you should ask a few more questions. At that price, it would be hard for a producer to cover their costs and make enough of a profit to keep going. In the previous episode with Jamie, we talked about relationships. We talked about how to know when you're in a good one and when you might need to break up. And one of the parts I really enjoyed was talking about some of the, the red flags to consider. So I wanted to highlight this conversation because it's an example of what it can look like when relationships work. When the producer, the exporter, and the customer, when all three parties are co-creating and supporting each other. I think you can really hear the mutual love and how much they enjoy working together. And Lucas said something else that also struck me. He said that he's an exporter who cares about how the producer feels. We are so used to thinking about a fair price, as if money solves everything, or as if it's the only important thing. Lucas is expanding the definition of fairness to include feelings. A fair price isn't just the dollar value in exchange for the coffee. His concept of fairness extends to how the producer feels about the transaction. Oh, also, for those of you who are curious, the container did make it to its destination, and you should be able to find this kombucha coffee at Goodman Coffee Roasters, as well as the other coffees that Jose and Felipe designed in a special collaboration between Junto, Knowledge Perk, and Ninja Warrior. 
If you want to try Felipe's coffee or talk to Lucas or get matched with the other producers he buys from, you can find all of that info in the show notes. And if you're a patron, you can join us on Discord where Lucas, Felipe, and Jose will be joining me and you can ask them questions directly. I'll be announcing the date of our get-together on Patreon and then I will post a reminder on Instagram too. If you want to keep in touch, join my newsletter at lucia.coffee. That's L-U-X-I-A dot coffee. I only send you an email when a new episode is coming out. And that's about it for today. Wrapping it up. Thanks for spending the hour with me. And remember, life's too short to drink bad coffee.